Good morning, folks. Um, here's the, uh, the title for this morning and for a further two Sunday mornings. The title is A Helicopter Ride Over the New Testament Letters. Now, I want to explain that. How many people here have been in a helicopter? Quite a few. Well, the difference between you know, a plane journey and a helicopter ride is, of course, well, you're flying a bit lower, but you have this tremendous vision all around you. If you're in one of the sort of type of helicopters, that the eye in the sky, you know, maybe traffic uh, stations and radio stations and stuff used to use the helicopters for that. The big advantage is when you're flying over, you really get to survey the terrain all around you, whereas in a plane, you know, you've got the little window or whatever. So what we're going to be doing over these three Sundays is we're going to be taking a helicopter ride over the letters of the New Testament, okay? Now, I want to introduce you to the co-pilot for our helicopter ride. He is a man by the name of Warren Wearsby. Now, I don't know how many of you, I'll ask again, how many of you recognize the name Warren Wearsby? A good number. Warren Wearsby was a Bible teacher largely in the last century. Um, American guy, did a lot of Bible teaching on the radio as well. Um, He had a remarkable ability to... uh, condense what he wanted to say and to deliver it in a really memorable way. Uh, we sometimes talk about that was a real Wearsbyism. He just had wee pithy sayings which just seemed to capture so much. And uh, I, I, I mean, when I meet Brother Wearsby, I will shake his uh, glorified hand very warmly because he actually played a really, really important role on my own sort of biblical journey. He was the first author that I sort of discovered when I wanted to be more serious about the Word of God. I wanted to get more of a handle on it. And I can't remember how, but uh, I fell in with Brother Wearsby. Now that's 40 years ago. Um, And to this day, okay, I'm studying maybe a bit more at a different level or whatever. But I always, anything that I'm preparing on, I will always read Wearsby. Just uh, because of, as I say, the, the accessibility and the memor- memorability of it. Uh, and I'm going to, uh, what we're going to be doing, let me just uh, move on a bit for a wee bit, push for time. He has a series of commentaries on the Bible. He actually does nearly all the books of the Bible. Uh, And they're called the B series, okay? Um, One word will follow B. Uh, Here's, for example, I brought them along in case anyone, you're not to take them on me, but in case, there's Romans, be right. Uh, First Corinthians, be wise. Second Corinthians, be encouraged. And so it goes on. And as I say, he actually, by the time Brother Wearsby went to glory, he had covered nearly all the books of the Bible. Now, I have to say, I think some of his titles in the Old Testament books and the Gospels, they're a bit of a stretch. 
you know, they're a bit too general. But when he, when he comes to the book of Acts, he divides it into two. It's two volumes. Chapters 1 to 12, be dynamic, which is Nigel's word, dunamis, from earlier on, by the way. And that's brilliant because what's the first part of the book of Acts about? It's about the coming of the Holy Spirit to empower the mission of Christ's followers. And then chapter 13 to 28, he calls Be Daring. And that's a brilliant title as well because it's all about Paul's missionary journeys. And surely if ever there's a a word that describes Paul's gospel efforts, it's daring. But here's where I'm going. The series started with Wearsby working with the letters of the New Testament. And I think his titles for each of the letters in our New Testament are really fantastic. So many of them I would give 10 out of 10. He just captures what the letter is about in one word. So what I am going to do as we fly over the various letters of the New Testament. I'm going to tell you each time what Wearsby's word is, be, Romans, be right. I'm going to tell you it each time, and I really recommend you do something here. I don't know how you feel about writing on your Bible, but uh, if, if you don't write in your Bible, I would get out a bit of paper and write down his title. Keep a wee note of it. And any time you come to read in that letter, remember that word because it will alert you to what the theme is. So I'm going to give you the the title each time. And the other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a key verse. A key verse from each of the letters which will tie in with that title, no doubt, and just alert you to what the letter is about. So these weeks are going to be about getting a greater familiarity with the letters of the New Testament. How many books are in the New Testament? 27, four Gospels and Acts, all the rest are letters. So there's 22 letters there. Um, Interestingly, Brother Wearsby never did Philemon. Uh, As far as I can see, he obviously knew that Les was going to speak on Philemon in Castlereagh Fellowship, so I wouldn't have to cover it. Um, So, yes. Okay, we're going to to, uh, start. We're just going to work through them in order. And we're going to start with Romans. Okay? Now, the title that Wearsby gave to that 16-chapter letter is this. Be right. Now, in what sense, be right? You know, be a smart aleck, you know, oh, I'm right. No, no, be right in the sense of be right with God. Be in a right relationship with God and before God. Let's look at our key verse, which is Romans 1.17. I really recommend you underline this for when you come to read the letter of Romans. Romans 1, and I'm going to read verse 16 for just a little bit of context for our key verse, which is Romans 1, 17. And Nigel's dunamis is going to make another appearance. Uh, Paul says famously, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the dunamis, the power of God, 
that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now, here's our key verse to alert you for what this entire letter is about. For in the gospel, in the good news, the message of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith, which is a quotation from Habakkuk. Now, I'm sure most of you know the story of Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic monk. And by his own admission, he hated the righteousness of God. He viewed it as an existential threat. Because he knew that the righteousness of God, the righteousness that characterizes God himself, is an absolutely unattainable standard. And so Luther resented the righteousness of God. It was a threat to him. But it was when reading the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Romans that he had that gospel epiphany. The lights came on because he saw, he realized that the righteousness of God could actually be received freely as a gift from God because of what Christ had done. Simply by putting his faith in it, the gospel lights came on. And all of a sudden, the righteousness of God was no longer a threat to him but it became a possession that he had, a standing that he had simply because of his faith in Christ. Romans 3.22 says this, this righteousness, this righteousness of God, okay? This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It's really simple, isn't it? The gospel is incredibly simple in that way. The first eight chapters of Paul's letter to the Romans walks the reader through how it is that God can give this gift of righteousness to ungodly sinners. How it is that he can do that. And in the opening chapters, Paul starts by describing the universal condemnation that is over us all. Without exception. We all fall short. We're all condemned. And then he moves in in chapter 3 and 4 to talking about the saving work of Christ. What God has done through Christ that enables him to be at one and the same time just 
true to himself, not in any sense diminishing his own righteousness, totally just, true to himself, but also how he can be the justifier of the sinner who believes in Jesus. And Paul focuses on the work of Christ, the shedding of Christ's blood to make atonement for our sin. And then Paul moves on to talk about the transforming, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit given to all who trust in Christ. Do you know every single Christian should have a basic familiarity with the first eight chapters of Paul's letter to the Romans because the fundamentals of our faith are in those chapters, systematically unpacked. There are some things in there that will stretch you that are difficult, but the simple framework of the gospel is in those eight chapters. And then when you come to chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans, it's connected, but it's something very different. Because Paul then starts to talk about the nation of Israel because he has to deal with this problem. Well, the nation of Israel rejected Jesus. The, the, the specially chosen nation to whom were given all the promises and the law and the tabernacle and, and all that there, they rejected him. Where does that fit in with God's program? Where, where's God's promises now? And that's what he deals with there. But then you come to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I want you to look at this. Remember, we're just flying over the letter to the Romans. We're just surveying the terrain. First eight chapters systematically taking you through to the point where you can say, I know I will never be separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, because all that Christ has done And he deals with the issue of Israel's unbelief and the promises of God. But then you come to Romans 12 and notice what's happening. Romans 12 verse 1. Therefore, in light of everything I have said up to this point, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy knowing all that God has done for us in Christ, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I love the phrase, a hinge verse. This is the hinge verse in Paul's letter to the Romans. You see, the first part of the letter, it's full of doctrine. A statement of what God has done for us. But notice the change of gear in Romans 12, 1 and 2, because we're now moving from doctrine to duty. This is what God has done for us. So this is how we're to respond. And there is only one appropriate response. If you understand everything that God has done in his mercy for us through Christ, 
There is only one response, folks. Offer your body to God as a living sacrifice. There's only one response that makes sense. Allow God to completely change your thinking away from living for yourself. Something completely different. And can I say this? You get that a lot in the letters, by the way. The first part of the letters, it's front-loaded with doctrine. The substance of what God has done for us. And then it moves to duty, our response. And there is an indissoluble link between doctrine and duty. No one can say, oh, well, I believe all this that God has done for me in Christ. Oh, his mercy is wonderful. I know that I am never be separated from the love of Christ, but you'll understand I reserve the right to do my own thing. That just will not withstand the New Testament. Never. There is an indissoluble link between understanding what God has done for us and living in response to it. I do not think you could overestimate or overstate the importance of Paul's letter to the Romans to understanding the gospel, understanding our faith. So that's our first letter. Be right. Brother Wearsby, thank you for that. 1 Corinthians comes next in our Bible. And it's another long letter. Can I give you the key verse for it? He calls it, be wise. Be right. Be wise. 1 Corinthians 3.18. Good verse to underline. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. What Paul is saying is this. Christians do not live by. They do not live according to the wisdom of this world. He tells us that we actually live by a heavenly, spirit-given wisdom. We live in an upside-down kingdom. Totally, that operates in a totally different way to the way the world operates. Now, I don't know what your familiarity with 1 Corinthians is. But actually, there is a lot of 1 Corinthians that is just really awkward to read. It's uncomfortable to read it. It's, it's a great letter, actually. You know, so often preachers, and I've done it myself, you know, you can glorify the early church. How often have you heard it said, oh, we need to get back to what it was like in those early days. And there is some truth in that for sure. But I'll tell you, do a wee experiment. Read 1 Corinthians and say to yourself, would you like to be in the Corinthian church? The reason it's great to read 1 Corinthians 
is this. It shows us what the church looks like when it rejects God's wisdom and clings to worldly wisdom. When the church actually operates in line with worldly standards. There's no problem while the boat is in the water. But there's a heck of a problem when the water is in the boat. And that's what happened at Corinth. There's a very porous border between Corinthian culture and the church. In fact, says Paul, it's indistinguishable. What happens when the church imbibes worldly wisdom? Well, the the letter just maps it out. Here's what you're going to find. Celebrity culture in the church. Factionalism. Party spirit. Misplaced boasting. Preoccupation with reputation. Read the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians. It's unbelievable. Oh, well, I, I, I follow Peter. Oh, no, I'm a Paul man. Oh, I'm Apollos. So Paul, Paul responds to it, and he says, let me ask you a question. He said, baptism, baptism. Who did I baptize? Ooh, Gaius, um, Stephanus. I can't remember. That's quoting Paul, by the way. He says, I can't actually remember. Um, you, you people who are so obsessed with personalities. Uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, were you baptized into Paul's name? Well, actually, another one. Was Paul crucified for you? What are you doing coming in behind men and gather? Not that Peter and Paul would have approved of it, by the way, but that whole bumming up of men and going into camps. He says, you know, yeah, Paul watered, Paul planted, Apollos watered. Yeah, yeah, it was God who gave the increase. But when you see Christians dividing around personalities, worldly wisdom, that's what's doing it. That's what's doing it. What else do you get? Well, you get toleration and justification of sin. I think the ugliest chapter in the New Testament is possibly 1 Corinthians 5. Because there's like an incestuous relationship going on in the church where a guy is, is, is sleeping with his mother-in-law and the church is doing nothing about it. Nothing about it. And I'm even being a bit hard in the world now because Paul says it's so scandalous that a lot of the pagans wouldn't even buy into this. And it's happening in the church and you're not dealing with it. There, there is no discipline in this. Worldly wisdom will tolerate and justify sin among the people of God. I can't help but think progressive Christianity is so progressive that it goes back to first century Corinth. 
absolute sexual immorality now being baptized as somehow it's okay today. The complete breakdown of brotherly love. This is what 1 Corinthians is riddled with. Absolutely riddled with it. Believers were taking each other to court. And what that means in practice is the rich people who could afford to do it were taking the poor believers to court. 1 Corinthians 8 to 10. Three chapters. What's the problem? Well, it's all about food that's been offered to idols. And believers have different levels of, of, of understanding of their liberty to eat food. You know, what, if, what if you get it in the market and it's been already offered there? And what if you go to somebody's house? And, you know, there was, there was a bit of confusion. And believers were at different stages about the liberty they had in Christ. But liberty was not being operated to by in love. And those who were strong in that sense, those who had a good conscience, they, they just stormed on ahead and did their own thing, disregarding their weaker brothers. And they were then getting caught up in what was happening, acting against their conscience. And it was doing spiritual damage to them because people couldn't limit their liberty for the sake of love. Spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Gifts that were given for the express purpose of building each other up were being used in a flashy, self-serving way. You see what happens when the wisdom of the world becomes the dynamic within the people of God. When the church takes its lead from culture and not from Christ. There was lots of confusion about marriage, celibacy, singleness, divorce, remarriage. There was lots of confusion about the resurrection. They'd just gone with the basic Greek pagan idea that there was no bodily resurrection. <laughs> Paul says that's kind of devastating. But that's... That... If we should read Romans, because it's so absolutely fundamental in giving us an understanding of the good news, the gospel, we should read, fly over 1 Corinthians regularly, folks. Because you see what the church will look like when it accommodates itself to culture. When it gets with the times. When it imbibes the wisdom of the world. Do you know what will happen to the church? It will turn into an unholy mess. And it will look just like what's out there. And if we're not different and distinctive, why would anyone pay a button of notice to what we have to say? It's an uncomfortable read, but it showcases what the church will become when it takes its lead from culture and not from Christ, who, chapter 1, verse 30, who is to us wisdom from God. Take our lead from the head of the church and his directions, not what is coming from around 
and we've flown over two letters. Um, so uh, how we're going to do 20 more letters in two weeks. Well, you can do the maths and that. Um, did I give you a verse? I did, yes. I'm just going to stop. And uh, can, I, can I just repeat again? What's the purpose of this? It's to get you to go away and go, you know what I'm going to do? I see Romans there, be right. Be right with God, righteousness of God. And there's a key verse. The righteousness of God, you know, it's by faith from first to last. It's to everyone who believes. I'm going to read the letter again and just see how it reinforces that. And then 1 Corinthians, I'm just trying to encourage you to read more in the scriptures because there is no substitute for that. I'm going to stop at that and not abuse my time. Let's pray. And if you want to have a little look at a Weir's you can pick them up on eBay for pennies. So you can. There's lots of different editions. I really recommend. I don't think there's really anyone here who wouldn't benefit from working their way through those. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.